This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. They just don't really know where to start or what kind of things could be important for them to do. So the feasible interventions that we were talking about are just little things that brewers can do to be aware. We got to a point where like, if we really care about this stuff, um, we need to make sure we're doing what we can in our operations. And we think we're efficient, but we don't really know. And even if we are efficient, we can certainly improve if we if we start to measure it. This week on the show, we continue featuring articles from last year's Master Brewers Technical Quarterly Sustainability Issue. This episode brings you three different perspectives from breweries large and small, all of which have found value in the BA's benchmarking tool. You'll hear about that tool as well as other resources to support your sustainability journey. And how to take some baby steps if you haven't made any progress yet. How does your brewery contribute to the industry's collective knowledge base? What's stopping you from writing your own TQ paper and joining me on the show? What about your own presentation or poster at the next Master Brewers Conference? Speaking of which, abstract submissions are open until May 17th. So what are you waiting for? Hi, my name is Lizzie Waters. I am the Sustainability Manager at Upslope Brewing Company in Boulder, Colorado. Hi, my name is Hannah Johnson. I'm a quality control technician at Allagash Brewing Company. I'm Charlie Hawksmeyer. I'm the head brewer and co-owner at Gilded Goat Brewing Company in Fort Collins, Colorado. All right, Charlie, your article highlights the need for what you refer to as feasible sustainability measures in small breweries. That sounds a lot like Nigel's term practical sustainability from episode 206. And so far on the show, we've mostly highlighted sustainability initiatives from larger companies like Muttons and Bells and the Matt Brewing Company and Genesee Brewing Company. Because those folks, uh, they're the ones who have been willing to share their stories. Talk about what the smallest of breweries need to uh, what do they need to 
to get to achieve their own versions of practical sustainability? You know, yeah, I mean, it's an amazing question because I think what we've found talking to other small breweries in the area and across the country while uh, doing the research for this paper was that um, a lot of the small, uh, the small brewers, uh, because they're so overwhelmed, they just don't really know where to start or what kind of things could be important for them to do. So the feasible um, interventions that we were talking about are just little things that brewers can do to be aware. And we found that having this awareness or just thinking about uh, how long you're spraying, if you could be using a rake to to clean out the mash tun instead of your spray hose, or you know, just little things like that, this mindfulness about your use um, ended up leading into uh, interventions that were actually impactful for these small businesses. So just thinking about it for a little while, f- for a few months, just uh, slowly benchmarking their use um, over a few months turned and ended up evolving into something that was more in- impactful for these breweries. So um, I guess, m- you know, most of these small brewers just kind of need an idea where to start. And the problem uh, with small brewery sustainability is that these small brewers are the least efficient, especially when it comes to water use. So the least efficient of all the brewery size categories, which, you know, makes sense. We're not brewing as often. Um, the, the larger operations have 24 seven brewing. It's just much more uh, efficient for them to recapture heat, to recapture water, um, CO2 recapture technology is just not very practical for a small brewer yet. I know there are, there are a lot of groups working on uh, skid-based or palletized CO2 recapture technologies. So um, the small brewers don't have the economy of scale that the big brewers have. So the interve- interventions that we have to make in our process are usually uh, much more time-consuming um, with little ROI, basically. So, you know, there's some change to to the bottom line by reducing your water use, but, you know, it has to be something that's important to you uh, as a person, to your company as a whole, and and to the community that you're in, if, if that story is important to your customers. Okay, let's hear about your small brewery's sustainability journey. Where did you begin? Uh we began, so I have to give my uh, co-author a shout out here, Kelsey Uligan. She was doing her master's degree in environmental science from Western in Colorado. And this was her final project to get her master's degree was this case study. So it was, uh, we began by just looking at and measuring and benchmarking what we use without any kind of intervention, just kind of steady state baseline. This is how we've been doing things for a while. And we're going to monitor them for a while just to, you know, average, average out the ups and the downs over the course of a year or so. So we just started by looking and entering stuff into the benchmarking tool, um, working with John Steyer, uh, relentlessly. That guy is a saint uh, for how many questions that we had to ask him. So um, there's a lot of resources available. The The other people on this podcast, I'm sure, would be happy to talk to uh, anybody that had questions. John Steyer, of course, BA. There, there are so many resources available. 
Um, so we just started learning about what we could do. Our uh, city of Fort Collins has some climate wise programs. The state has some uh, sustainability and efficiency programs. So we just started looking at what is available to us, what tools we have, um, what our use looks like over time, and then um, start to make small incremental changes to our process and determine whether that was worth our time. individually as a company, whether it was worth it for the watershed as a whole, um, and uh, pursue some things versus others. You know, it was kind of just feeling out uh, what our use is like and where we could go with it. Um, And then the case study came about by mapping that out, kind of mapping out the progress that we made, the things that made sense or didn't make sense for a brewery of our size. Cool. Let's get into into some specifics. The brewery had a water use ratio of about eight to one for its first two years of operation. You were able to cut that almost in half. Talk about how you did that. So that was, uh, I gave an example of, uh, in the paper of squeezing our spray hose and measuring how long it took to fill a five gallon bucket. And then Kelsey, as part of this project, uh, sat there and uh, stared at us, usually with very judgmental eyes about how much water we were using, um, just timed us for how long we used that spray hose. So that was uh, a huge uh, reduction in our water use, just knowing how you know, it doesn't seem like much when it's coming out a high pressure at that hose, but timing how long it takes to spray out a, a fermenter, you know, it, it turned out to be a lot of water. Um, Do you still picture her like staring at you? Every <laughs> she, she haunts us now in the brewery and, you know, she, she looks through the window when she hears us spraying. And <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's good pressure and I'll take it. So there was that we, we optimized how much water we were using for our CIP and SIP processes. My background is in microbiology. So I was able to, you know, I had the tools in place in, in our small lab to uh, confirm with micro testing and swabs that our CIP and SIP were still effective at these small water volume at the reduced water volumes, um, recapturing hot liquor or recapturing cooling water out of the heat exchanger is huge. And there are so many small breweries that uh, either uh, it's not practical for them to do that or uh, don't realize how important that is or how much water is actually going down the drain during that process. So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, adapting our process to see if at a minimum we could reduce our water use in half. So that was kind of our internal goal was can we cut our water use in half in this particular process and it still work the way that we need it to? I actually had one one comment on something that Charlie said. He mentioned mindfulness as being, you know, the most important or one of the most important pieces of of sustainability. And I, and I totally agree. I think that regardless of a brewery's size, I remember John Steer telling me this in the beginning too. He was like, once you get employees engaged and thinking about sustainability, just think, just knowing it's important and mind mindful of the water they're using, et cetera. Companies often see an increase in like 20% or 20% efficiency increase across the board, just by through employee mindfulness. And a really good example of that, Charlie mentioned the hot, the, um, heat exchanger being used to, you know, recapture or cool hot wort and then, and then recapturing that into a hot liquor tank. That is something that is standard industry practice for a lot of breweries, but, um, and we've had it in place in our current or our 
you know, main production facility since the beginning, since 2013, but hadn't really been, we kind of said it and forget it, forgot it. Um, and recently a, a, brewer, a brewer came up to me and was like, hey, like I've noticed recently that uh, I'm dumping the hot liquor tank is often too full to receive this recaptured water and it's going down the drain. He's like, and it's happened a couple of times to me and we have a bunch of different brewers like, and it was anecdotal and I mentioned the head brewer and he was like, oh, I don't really think that's a you know consistent problem, but let's, let's look at it anyway. And so we did like a two week audit where the brewers would take, you know, measure the water level before a knockout and then after the knockout and, and um, record whether or not the water was recaptured. And in that two week period, we found that half of the water was going down the drain. Wow. And yeah, and extrapolated to, I mean, this is a big assumption, but extrapolated to, you know, the whole year, that was like 300,000 gallons of water, $3,000. Of heated water. (laughs) Of heated water. So that's not even including the natural gas cost. So we were like, they were shocked. They're like, oh my God, we didn't, we had no idea that that was happening. Cause we have like, we have 24 hour brewing with, you know, three different brewers, you know, it's just not, and it just, required somebody to notice and tell us yeah and then we were like okay well that's a good lesson you know we can't assume that a system we have in place is working properly um and that's why most hot liquor tanks are at least double the size of the of the brew house vessels because exactly they assume a a two to one ratio of cooling water uh, you know in a lot of cases yeah so anyway that's just to you know that, so that what did is, you do about it? Did you put in put in another tank, or what, how did or were you able to so, like schedule to to make sure they started with a lower amount and you know didn't overfill it in the first place, or what were you able to achieve? So what they did was um, put like a fill gauge in the hot liquor tank, um, lower than the previous fill gauge. Fill gauge. I don't know if that's the right. So it was probably an automatic refill, and they just had to set that lower. Set it lower, and yeah. actually, that it's kind of, that was very recent. So I have to, I still have to follow up. I don't think that they've had time. We just had our our uh, we had a new head brewer, so there's been a little bit of a pause in that project. But we have to do a second audit to see the uh, effect of that new gauge. But basically, the idea is to always have enough room in the tank to receive that yeah. water. Yeah. Um, Though I know that poses problems, and we've had the tank run out of water um, right. since. But anyway, that, I just thought that was a good example of how it's a great example how mindfulness is really important and employee engagement is really important. Nice. Regular listeners will have recently heard an episode with Jim Core, who discussed the Matt Brewing Company's journey composting spent hop material. Charlie, talk about the legislative hurdle that prevents you from composting your spent hops. Yeah, so it it kind of uh, limits what we can do with this very nitrogen-rich ingredient. Um, So spent hops and spent yeast, um, uh, a lot of nutrients still remaining in these materials that we um, are disposing from the brewery. So they're great for compost. They're great for fields, um, even spent beer getting thrown onto farmers' fields. Uh, but there are a lot of rules and regulations for composting, and this varies by state. So in Colorado, we can't donate any compost material to organizations. Um, they either have to pay for it to be collected um, and composted with these private licensed entities or have some kind of on-site composting that's also licensed. So 
it's important to understand what uh, is available to you in your area. This varies state by state or municipality by municipality. So unfortunately in Colorado, we're limited uh, uh, with what we can do with this spent material. Yeah, that's a real bummer. Um, I was really hoping to have Luke on the call because uh, he's on the sustainability subcommittee at the BA. Um, and so we're kind of remiss here not having a, a representative from there. But um, I, to anybody out there who's listening, who's on the sustainability committee, um, really curious if this is a topic you guys have have explored at all. Um, it seems like an area where the BA could really shine. Uh, the BA has proved to be extremely efficient at lobbying for legislative change. And they're based in in Charlie's home state, uh, and it seems to me if they could get the state of Colorado to see the positive imp- impact that would come from the the state's breweries at least being allowed to donate spent hop material to composting facilities like the Matt Brewing Company was able to do in New York, um, then maybe the BA could help brewers in other states with similar roadblocks. And uh, I mean, just think about the impact they could have. If you could get the nation's, you know, 105 million pounds of spent hops out of landfills each year and turn them into valuable compost to reduce fertilizer usage, which, as we all know from episode 206, is a major factor in the largest contributor to beer's carbon footprint. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully, um, Luke will hear this or someone else from the committee and be able to take that back and, and see if there's, um, you know, any paths forward there because I think that that's something that the the industry could do to to really, you know, have some significant change. Um, Okay, Charlie, let's um, get into your, um, I guess, let's talk about energy. Uh, Electricity is the biggest part of the pie at most breweries with most of the usage um, coming from running chillers. Is that true for your operation as well? It, it is. And that's what made electricity kind of the hardest uh, for us to influence. So we're a fairly new build out. Um, so we already had LED fixtures, um, motion sensor light. You know, we kind of had that uh, the advanced energy efficient build out already. So, uh, you know, updating everything to LEDs was, was not something that we uh, had the option of doing, but after looking at our use um, over time and uh, making some small adjustments to our rooftop um, condensing units for our chillers, we figured out that most of our electrical use is for refrigeration, which in a brewery is, is really not that surprising, but there's also not much that we can do about it. So we're talking to uh, the Colorado Department of Health and Environment about things that we can do for uh, to bring in cold air uh, during periods of the year that it's cooler outside than it is in our cooler. So, you know, small small things that uh, may actual ha- may actually have a return on investment for us, uh, these types of interventions, but electricity is hard. So we have a, a direct fire natural gas powered brew house, but an electrically powered hot liquor tank. Um, so we kind of spread our production utility use out over different types of uh, utility use, I guess. Uh, but electrical is something that uh, the overhead cost is too high at a brewery our size to have much impact on, unfortunately. You know, Charlie, so I've always been amazed that we don't see more brewers repurposing wasted heat from their chillers. 
the last standard brew pub air-cooled chiller that I bought uh, for a pretty small add-on charge, I was able to get a heat exchanger that lets you use the waste heat from the hot refrigerant line to make hot water. And it's a really, really a pretty simple thing to do and not terribly different from the glycol vaporizer strategy that we heard about on episode 186 and then again last week on episode 209. I don't know, maybe we just need to do an episode on that topic and, and get the BA to encourage members to install these units. But, um, you know, that would be a, a tremendous ROI if you could um, basically reduce the, the electrical load on that hot liquor tank, um, meanwhile reducing the load on the chiller by having that heat exchange. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are so many little opportunities like that in a small in a small brewery that um, the cost of implementation is usually fairly small and the impact on your process is high. So we're also looking at a copper coil that wraps around our heating stack that rises from our kettle and our burner for our kettle. And it would be automated and it would automatically pump um, hot liquor or cold liquor water through this coil in the kettle stack and return it to the hot liquor tank uh, just to be able to use some of that heat that's running out of the roof of the building. Yeah, that's the that European breweries have been doing that for decades, right. you know, where the energy costs have, have been higher. So there's a lot of little things like that that we don't see in the U.S. Um, okay, Charlie, CO2 was a problem area at your brewery. Talk about that. Uh, and still is. You know, it's CO2 is expensive um, and we use a lot of it. So we primarily transfer beers using uh, pressure transfers. And one of the alternatives that we, so a pressure transfer is, is the, the sending tank is slightly over pressure and the receiving tank is slightly under pressure. And you just use CO2 to move that beer to the receiving tank. Uh, but the problem with this is that you're then blowing the CO2 out of two tanks. So one of the methods that we used to try and reduce this is a pump transfer and a CO2 jumper line. So if you can kind of picture it in your head, the sending tank um, is attached to a pump and you pump it to the receiving tank and the receiving tank then has a CO2 jumper line or just a hose from the CIP arm of the receiving tank to the CIP arm of the sending tank. So as you're moving the beer underneath, the CO2 moves over the top and they just displace each, each other, basically. So that was uh, an option. That meant we're only blowing one tank, uh, one entire tank of CO2 out, uh, which again was kind of moving towards our, can we reduce our use by 50% kind of overall goal. Um, but the, the the additional cost with that was using a centrifugal pump is maybe uh, not the best idea for moving beer. You can do it gently enough and it's still safe on the beer, but there are safer pumps to use for moving finished beer like that, but they're expensive. So the, the trade-off you get in CO2 savings may eventually uh, in time pay for this more gentle pump that you could use. Uh, but it was an option. So we, we tend to use the pump transfer method for uh, non-hoppy beers um, and the pressure transfer method for hoppy beers because we get slightly lower DO. And, you know, that's that's something that I could probably improve in my process by uh, maintaining gasket integrity and tight tri-clamps and, and everything. But the increase in DO was slight, um, but enough to not make it worth it for every beer that we were transferring. Um, but also during the pandemic, one of the upsides was we started talking about 
um, working with this outside company that makes nitrogen generators and compressors to evaluate the use of nitrogen in purging tanks, um, in pressure transfers, and what level of nitrogen purity we could get away with and still maintain um, a th below threshold level of dissolved oxygen in our beer. So, um, uh, again, an on-site nitrogen generator is quite expensive for a small brewery. Uh, but it may be a way to reduce CO2 use, um, which tends to be more expensive and has a greater impact than nitrogen. So, you know, it's a lot of these uh, trade-offs and is the payoff over time worth it? Yeah, makes sense. There's another program you've leveraged. I believe it's called Efficiency Works. Tell us what that is, how it's helped your efforts, and how other brewers might be able to find similar programs. Yeah, so Efficiency Works is a, a statewide program. And it's, it's an audit, basically. So they just come in and uh, spend an afternoon with us. They take pictures of the serial numbers of our equipment, um, all of our glycol chillers, our HVAC, uh, refrigeration units, kettle burner, basically anything with high energy consumption in the brewery, and um, suggest things that we could do that could have an impact on improving our process. So it's, it's basically recruiting the experts uh, in the state. And this, this program kind of comes and goes, and maybe Lizzie has some more feedback on efficiency works or whether or not they've used that. Um, now that I know Lizzie, I think there are some things <laughs> that we could probably work together on, but it, it was a program that was available and it was bringing in the experts to help us get some direction on things that we could do um, that we didn't really know about. So, you know, finding the people who know more than we do and asking them what we can do. Coming up. It's been honestly a huge, huge boost. I think that it, gave our program direction. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills. 
a new base malt to set your compass by. Brauer North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweetbread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention, and that's Fermentis, a global supplier of active dry yeast. You can listen to Kevin and Marcelo talk about the shelf life and performance of active dry yeast on episode 93. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Don't miss the Tank Cleaning Fundamentals webinar May 18th. The Great District Northwest covers all things canning for their spring meeting by Zoom on May 21st. And the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course starts August 15th. There's finally a beer industry conference you can put on your calendar that might actually take place in person. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. Back to the show. The BA has a benchmarking tool available to its members. Tell us about what it does. The BA benchmarking tool is a interactive Excel spreadsheet that allows brewers to track their utility usage, both consumption and costs in order to set attainable goals for reducing their consumption. How do you recommend the smallest of breweries get started? I would recommend to just start, you know, small and start by, um, you know, choosing one utility and keeping track of it. And, you know, every month when you get that bill, enter in your cost and your usage. And then once you feel comfortable with that one Utility, just start adding them on. Uh, it can be a little overwhelming at first when you first start tracking all of your utilities. So it's really, you can go at your own pace. Kelsey and Charlie's paper reported that only 3% of breweries have reported energy and utility benchmarking data to the BA. That's a pretty small number. How can we reach more folks? And since all three uh, groups here have used it, What's the biggest selling point that you'd like to communicate to other brewers out there listening? I think for us, at least, it was uh, that small breweries, usually uh, the people running the show are keeping track of utilities and production data 
um, are wearing so many hats that it was just one other thing that they had to add to their plate. Um, so there was kind of some apprehension for people uh, jumping into the to the benchmarking tool. Uh, but after we spent some time talking to our brew water group, which is our local Fort Collins um, kind of conservation, brewing, sustainability, conservation group, we talked to um, the brewers that participate in this group and uh, gave kind of a mini presentation of what you should enter, what you don't have to enter. Um, you don't have to do it every single month, but just making a, a small effort at tracking a few things, maybe just water usage or just utility, you know, just kind of easing your way into it made it a little bit more approachable for these people who already have so many things on their plate. So for us, at least it was, it was uh, trying to encourage small, busy brewers to, um, well, to sell the importance of it, I guess, to them. Well, what's, what was important? Uh, what was important about it to you? What, 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 what was the biggest benefit you gained from from using the tool personally? Um, for us, well, for me personally, knowledge is power, and uh, so some of our utility costs don't fluctuate very much. But if we were going to make some of these. Uh, interventions in our process, I wanted to have some baseline to see trends or to compare uh, what we were doing to uh, our past history. So we needed to we need to have a couple of months of, of use in there um, to evaluate whether something was worth our time, whether it had any kind of impact on our process or our bottom line. Um, and this is, of course, outside of the altruistic goal of just uh, doing Saving better, the planet. yeah, doing better for the climate and yeah. our watershed and all of that. So, okay, cool, Hannah. How has the benchmarking tool facilitated progress at Allagash? Um, it's it's done a lot. Uh, I personally got into benchmarking after I saw a little um, presentation at a conference I was at, and I was actually really surprised that Allagash wasn't taking part in it. So, um, or we had, and we it kind of just like fell off the docket. Um, as Charlie said, it's a lot, it seems like a lot of time at first, uh, but you know, you can, you can kind of take it at your own pace and start with one utility and just kind of get in the habit. But, um, some of the things it's done for us is just kind of give us, uh, more of a idea of how we're doing, uh, you know, sustainability wise and consumption wise. And, um, we do a project with MIT each year, and we were able to um, hone in on one utility as opposed to try to reduce our consumption as a whole. So we were able to know that um, electricity was something that we had a lot of room for improvement at, and uh, we did some trials and, and uh, you know projects with MIT, and we were able to kind of come up with ways to reduce our electricity usage um, as a whole which I thought was really cool. Um, had it not been for the BA benchmarking tool, we wouldn't necessarily have um, focused solely on one utility use. Lizzie, would you say the same thing? As, uh, was it, did it help you guide your focus or did it do something more important for you? Um, we actually, so we used the, the benchmarking tool to kind of kickstart our entire sustainability program back in 2017. Um, we had um, really didn't, I, so I started my role back then and, and we really didn't know where to start 
in terms of tackling, you know, where to, what, how to prioritize um, efficiency projects and all that. So we started with the benchmarking tools, a way to kind of get a lay of the land, really. Um, first, it was a guide to literally tell us what to look at, what to track, and how to input the data. Um, and John Steer, the sustainability mentor at the BA, was a great resource um, while we were figuring that out. But it also showed, um, I think, a really important um, a really important piece of the tool is that it it shows it shows breweries how they're performing against their peers. Um, it benchmarks each each brewery um, in its against other breweries in its size category, and shows you and ranks you based on your efficiency, your comparable efficiency. Uh, I thought that was an excellent way. You know, we were like, we think we're efficient, but we don't actually know how we're doing because we're not measuring it. And we don't know what that efficiency even means in our industry context without, without, you know, how benchmarking it in some way. So, um, so I think too, it, it's really helpful to, you know, you, you take each, um, each utility and each metric and you can see how efficient you are. And that way you can kind of pinpoint the areas where you're least efficient, have the best, um, the most room for improvement. And um, the tool also, gives you a cost savings project projection, um, assuming certain amounts of improve certain degrees of improvement in each category. So that's that was a way that we justified expanding our sustainability program to begin with. We said we have X amount of cost savings potential across energy and and water and and let's figure out how to harness those. Okay, cool. I was hoping Hannah's colleague Luke would be able to join us because he's actually sits on the um, BA sustainability subcommittee, but uh, we had some technical difficulties there. So uh, hopefully the rest of you folks can can chime in. But um, Lizzie just mentioned mentorship, but I was curious what other assistance might be available if folks need help with the tool or just getting their uh, sustainability journey started in general. I would definitely love to give John Steer a shout out because he helped us a lot at the beginning. Um, as my paper states and as, you know, we all understand it's a little overwhelming at first to get everything down on paper. Um, it's a lot of tracking and there were a lot of questions I had at first, but I also think the tool does a really good job of breaking it down and making it really easy for the user. Okay, cool. Um, all right, Lizzie, you, you just mentioned earlier that Upslope uh, formalized its sustainability program in 2017. What drove that decision? Upslope was founded in 20, 2008 with um, definitely with an, you know, outdoor ethic and interest in environmental stewardship. Um, we have, you know, for those 10 years had had done a lot in terms of giving back to environmental conservation organizations and and also had uh, built out our brewery with an eye toward efficiency, but hadn't really measured it. And and we got to a point where we're like, if we really care about this stuff, um, we need to make sure we're doing what we can in our operations. And we think we're efficient, but we don't really know. And even if we are efficient, we can certainly improve if we if we start to measure it and harness savings and also just you know for the um end goal of being more sustainable so i think that that's kind of where that started we just wanted to we wanted to know where we stood 
I, I love the spirit of your paper. It's easy for folks to come on the show or write about their amazing achievements, but it takes someone who cares uh, about the greater good more than their own ego to openly discuss dis- difficulties and failures. And while everyone has to learn things the hard way sometimes, it sure is great to hear about the struggles of others so you can avoid the same pitfalls. So knowing that your journey hasn't been easy, let's hear about some of the challenges you've encountered thus far. Let's see. There have been a lot. Um I'd say, and I think I, this was kind of the main theme of the paper that I wrote is that, um, really embedding sustainability programming into, into a company in a really meaningful way, um, in a, in a way that, that, uh, spreads responsibility for the programming across the company. So it's not just me or whoever is responsible for the, you know, coordinating of the program. That I think has been the hardest thing. And I, you know, we, uh, everybody at Upslope, I have not gotten pushback on anything from anyone at Upslope. I feel actually pretty fortunate and it's exciting to be working a company where everybody gets it. But still, even even still, it's hard to um yeah, it's just it's just hard. And I think this is a challenge faced by literally every single company pursuing this kind of work. It, you know, you have some growing pains in the beginning. Where you're like, how do we embed sustainability goals in everyone's job description so that it's not an it's not an additional extra thing that people do. It's, it's part of their job. Um, you know, how do we make sure that people feel responsible for understanding proper waste diversion or um, communicating B Corp or sustainability goals to their teams at team meetings, um, really simple things that take time to make into habit, you know, and it, it, it's, we've been improving. It's a culture change, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's a culture. It's exactly. So that's been, I think the, we're getting there. Like we are making progress towards that goal. Um, but I, I'd say that's been, been overall the biggest challenge. And so then every other little challenge kind of feeds back into that. You struggled with benchmarking um, at the very beginning. Uh, talk a little bit about that. That was difficult because you you didn't even have um, you had shared energy and water meters, right? So that was that was a struggle, wasn't it? Yep. We, and we're still working through that. Um, we had so our building is very kind of weird. We it's an old. It was built in the seventies. We are one. We're the we're the largest occupant, but only one out of where there's a coffee roaster and cafe and other office tenants um in the building and yeah the metering's just all wonky and and shared and uh we had one water meter for the entire building and pretty soon i think probably by the end of 20 i guess by the beginning of 2018 we'd installed eight water flow meters throughout our production process um and on our tenants so we were able to see exactly how much water upslope used and then more specifically how much water um major processes throughout a production used. So that was, that was extremely helpful. And then now we're kind of tackling that for, for electricity too. Cause we have, again, just a million different meters, all of our, um, you know, our, our brew house, our cellar, our packaging line and our tap room and our downstairs offices and kitchen are all in one electrical meter. So it's really difficult to tease apart that usage and set meaningful reduction goals because we can't really measure improvement over time. Um, so that was a huge, you know, <laughs> to uh, go back to John Steer, he was extremely helpful in the beginning there, helping me figure out how to kind of estimate usage in, so we could kind of get the information we needed to get on a high level. Um, 
I would say in the first few months of my job, I worked more with John than I worked with any of my coworkers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. I assume it was probably just, I mean, was it cost prohibitive to just start putting meters on everything? I, 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 you know, it's not free. Yeah, I think at the time it's not it's not cost prohibitive. We actually have purchase meters. We just have to figure out how to where to install them. It was more like just totally overwhelming. We weren't sure where, and I mean it's kind of, it's not cheap. So I think at the time yeah, we weren't we weren't ready to take that make that um, step, and then also just didn't know where to even start and put the meters where it, it would, they'd be effective and. Um, it took a while for us to just figure out, you know, which meters and panels served which processes and it's yeah. a, our, our, it's kind of our metering is a little bit of a mess. Hannah and Charlie, did you guys have similar, um, similar challenges with, um, you know, just measuring stuff in the beginning or maybe you still do? I couldn't even imagine not having everything on, you know, one meter here at Allagash, everything is meter like everything is allagash we don't share the space with any other businesses or anything like that so lizzie i i can't imagine how much of a headache that was trying to um you know separate out everything and trying trying to figure out your own usage uh i i think the biggest you know struggle for us at first was just staying on it and uh understanding like the invoices we were receiving and you know water bills can be kind of tough to uh at least our water bills were a little tough to interpret at first yeah we we definitely had similar issues we're in a shared space we're the the heaviest utility user in our space so um we convinced our landlord that this was uh important for us to monitor this and he shared the cost of installing some submeters for us. So that, that helped, uh, helped us to pull apart our use from the other tenants. Um, but you know, still, still an ongoing struggle for, for us, we're so much smaller than the rest of you folks. So, um, one of, one of our measures was, uh, just starting a stopwatch and timing with our spray hose, how long it took to fill up a five gallon bucket. And then for a couple of brew days, somebody just sat there with a stopwatch and, uh, stared at us while we were spraying the hose and we learned, <laughs> you know, just exactly how much water we were using through that spray hose, which was kind of eye opening. Going back to Lizzie, your overall cost savings projections ended up being big enough to give this effort some serious momentum, but it sounds like you kind of hit a wall trying to determine appropriate goals and timelines. Was there no clear low hanging fruit for you to go after? Mm, That's a good question. Um, So in our main production facility, which is where we focus most of this, um, we were actually already. How big is that? We are doing about this past year, like a little over 50,000 barrels. Okay. So not small. Not small. The other, our other facility is like a couple hundred a year. It's like our innovation barrel aging facility. So actually, we ended up being very efficient in pretty much across all metrics, with the exception of purchase CO two. That was our least efficient metric at Flatiron Park, which is our our main production facility. Our uh, biggest cost savings potential lay, uh, lay in electricity savings. And that has been difficult. We are in the process of replacing some inefficient rooftop units that will help help with that and getting uh, 
some regular compressed air leak audits um, on the schedule, which we hope will save a couple thousand dollars a year. Um, but yeah, it, it's we've had a hard time harnessing that that piece. Upslope became a certified B corporation in 2018. What is a B corporation certification, and how did you help? Uh, how did it help develop your roadmap? So B Corp certification is a certification for for-profit companies that meet high, high standards of social environment, environmental performance, transparency, and accountability. Um, basically, the idea is that if we are to achieve a, uh, if we are to achieve a truly kind of sustainable society and world in which um, we get away from, you know, environmental degradation and and achieve racial and gender equality and all of that, um, we need to do business differently. Um, the idea is to put guardrails on capitalism, essentially. So businesses will still be operating for profit, but businesses that exploit or that chase profits at the cost of the environment or their employees or community will no longer be viable. So we kind of approach B Corp certification in the same from the same lens as the our initial uh, BA benchmarking program and that was basically to understand how we performed in in across social environmental um, metrics and we had no idea if we'd be able to certify or not but wanted to just take the assessment um, and back up a second B Corps are certified based on um, an assessment that they take and companies have to score a minimum of 80 out of 200 points on a very comprehensive assessment that um, looks at a company's performance across governance, environment, employees, community, and customers. Um, This is very holistic and all-encompassing. And so we thought, you know, at the very least, we could use it again as a benchmark um, to see how we were doing because it aligned with with our values as a company. So that was back in 2018. And I will say too that actually the the BA benchmarking tool and data helped us certify because it um, it allowed us to demonstrate our efficiency in our industry or you know energy yeah, and water efficiency. against your peers yeah yeah so okay, that was cool. that the two work together in that way okay is there anything else you want to say about how how that B Corp certification sort of um, uh, facilitated your sustainability journey? Yeah, it's been honestly a huge, huge boost. I think that it gave our program direction um, in a way, you know, I had never done this before. No one at Upslope had ever, you know, started and developed a sustainability program. And and we definitely were a little bit like, I don't know, you know, how to, again, how do you prioritize? Where do we start? Um, and the the impact assessment, which I will say to you, is a free tool that any company can use without having to certify. Um, and it, I'm, I'm just like a huge proponent of it. I think it's really, really useful. But basically, any, for instance, with you take like energy usage, um, the BIA will ask, you know, to what extent do you manage your energy usage? And they have multiple choice answers. And basically, each choice represents the next level of, of you know, energy management. So the first would be like, we don't measure, we don't track it. Second would be, we track it. 
but we don't have goals. The third would be we we have some goals, we haven't met them. So it's a really great way to look at it and be like, okay, we're here. What's the next step up? And then that's the way we have started to set goals. We look at the assessment and say, what's the next step? And that will be our goal this year. How do we get to the next step? It's just a great way to to be able to visualize incremental improvement over time. I just, uh, I wanted to chime in and second that because Allagash became a B Corp uh, business in 2020. Um, And I just wanted to say, you know, Lizzie's mentioned a few times that when you start benchmarking, you don't necessarily know where you stand, even if you have that data and you have that information. Um, And the BA tool has been really helpful with comparing us to other breweries of our size and letting us know how we're doing. but I, uh, both the BA benchmarking tool and the B Corp, the B Corp certification has allowed us to kind of see the areas where we could improve most. Um, it was definitely um, becoming a B Corp certification and seeing that we had room for improvement in our sustain, uh, sustainability efforts was kind of surprising to us because. Um, We've really been benchmarking since the beginning of uh, our in-house meters uh, back in 2013, but it was sort of like a, um, you know, SOP of recording it, and then it was somewhat out of sight and out of mind. Getting more involved with the BA benchmarking tool allowed us to see the importance of, like, looking at the data and having a solid baseline, Um, uh, and it actually allowed us to really start looking at our consumption on a more granular level um, where we can track day by day. And we also have um, a software that we use that actually tracks our usage hour by hour. Um, And we were also able to use a tool we use in other parts of the brewery to visualize the data in a more user-friendly way, which is a Microsoft program called Power BI. Um, and it's allowed us to see our efforts in real time. So uh, I, I really feel like the BA tool and the B Corp certification kind of lit the fire under our, our butts to, to start um, keeping, you know, more track of our consumption. Um, but I just wanted to reiterate that the BA um, really gave us an idea of how we how we were doing in terms of other breweries our size. And that's a really, really cool tool that the benchmarking tool offers. Why has meeting deadlines and sticking with prescribed timelines been your biggest challenge? Well, I think that I, well, I've never done this in another company or another industry, but my guess is that, um, you know, this is especially challenging when we are a manufacturing facility with production deadlines and also uh, pretty consistently, like, you know, we have, um, you know, machines break and things happen that are unexpected. What? They break in a brewery? (laughs) And um, I think that's been, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I think, again, like I said before, none of our everybody that I work with is very committed to this to sustainability and um, on board with projects and you know that's not the issue but it is still challenging for you know for instance our engineering team has so much to do on a daily basis that it's difficult sometimes for them to, you know they'll say yeah we can get this 
start working on the sustainability project this month. We'll give ourselves, you know, month deadline and then, yeah, a couple machines break or unexpected things happen in, in, on the production side and, th- and that stuff just has to get pushed back. Um, and I understand that. And I think that, so it's something we, we're trying to figure out as a team, like how do we, how do we um, hold ourselves accountable in a, in a better way, but obviously with the acknowledgement understanding that, that there's some other stuff that's going to come first sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So talk about what has and hasn't worked in regards to your green team, as well as employee education and training initiatives. So this is another big one that we're, we're trying to tackle this year. Um, I think that my feeling and I, and anyone correct me if you disagree or, you know, feel free to disagree with me here, but I feel like um, green teams work best if either there's no um, designated person, sustainability person, or that, or if the program is like very well developed and sustainability person is um, very prepared and equipped to lead the committee. And I think so far, we've been sort of in between that because I've been the dedicated person and have had the time to dedicate to sustainability issues and learn, um, teach myself, figure out what's going on, but haven't quite had enough of a handle on it to effectively delegate tasks or even communicate the information. So we, I get a lot of, we tried to do green team, the green team thing like two or three times over the last few years. And I'd get a lot of interest. People would show up, but it'd be like an hour a month or something. And it just was really hard for me to get everybody up to speed quickly and to the point where they would be able to actually help. Um, And so people were, I think felt like, anyway, it didn't quite work. And I think that we are in a better position now um, and that's something I'm again trying to figure out what that will look like going forward because I think it's really important to include people wherever you can, and it's really important to get feedback. And um, so we kind of just took it. We I, I just paused the green team thing for a little while and and have been working more you know one on one with people as needed. Hannah or Charlie, do you have any um, any insight or any comments in regards to sort of how you balance sustainability goals with uh, other potentially competing priorities in the brewery? Uh, well, for us at least, it was most of this stuff was falling on me because we're such a small operation. So it was most useful for me to get employee buy-in uh, to help me do some of this stuff. So you know, small potatoes compared to what other people are doing, but, um, you know, just being careful about, uh, sorting recycling and trying to ride your bike in and just having kind of like, uh, some engagement with the rest of my staff to make it feel important to them and rewards, um, for this behavior and, 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 you know, positive encouragement for, um, trying to, work this way and take it home with you. So it, it was most effective for us or for me at least to uh, expand the importance of this to the rest of my staff in kind of a, a generic way, you know, not, not specific tasks that I'm necessarily assigning to people, but just kind of this overarching goal of why this is important. Hannah, let's hear about how Allagash balances sustainability goals with uh, all the other stuff that has to happen in the brewery. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a challenge because, you know, being a such a big brewery there's a lot of other fish to fry um but i'd say we do a really good job just you know keeping it on the forefront uh you know sustainability in our in our mind um we we use you know communication tools like our weekly news flash to kind of talk about um goals and also what the green team is doing um as far as sustainability um like I said, the B Corp has really helped us, um, you know, understand the importance of KPIs. And um, so f- under our brewery, our ops communication tool, like we, we've really been focusing on um, water and CO2 reduction goals and, and stuff like that. So, you know, like communication, I think, is really key. And Allagash does a really good job keeping um, the entire brewery up to speed on our efforts and our goals and how we're, how we're doing and what we're doing to achieve them. Lizzie, at some point during your journey, I'm not sure when, there was sort of an epiphany that ultimately resulted in a new company mission statement. Talk about that. So that was actually a B Corp goal. Um, That was something that we, so we actually are up for B Corp recertification this month. Um, and, And actually just to add on to kind of what Hannah just said too, I think that the, the, BIA, the B Corp piece is so helpful in terms of not only setting goals, but also keeping yourself yourself uh, accountable to those goals. If you have an external deadline, you have to recertify every three years. So um, I think just to kind of round out what I was saying before, I think that will be a huge help for us going forward in terms of um, effectively prioritizing and following through with our goals because they'll have to be done by the time we're up for recertification. Does that make sense? It does. So what did, that, um, what did that mission statement though, like what did that accomplish for you? What were you trying to, trying to get at there? Yeah. So basically the idea is, so our focus on sustainability, I don't want to say it has been largely informal, but it's been sort of natural over, you know, over the last 10 plus years. And we have gotten to a point where we're like, if we are serious about, Imp- continual improvement and continuing to be B Corp and improving on um, improving our sustainability overall, we need to get very intentional with our goals and our follow through. And I think the you know the way we do that has to be a top down. It has to be communicated from our leadership that this is a priority for our company. So the first step is to put it in our mission statement. And that really commits us as a company to these goals. And then to tie back goals, you know, specific goals each year to that mission statement, communicate it. As Hannah said, communication is key. We're still working on that piece, Um, but we're putting together a strategy for how we're going to formalize communication, um, you know, write KPIs and everyone's job descriptions that tie back to this mission statement. So that's communicated internally and externally. Um, to hold ourselves accountable to these goals. That was Lizzie Waters, Hannah Johnson, and Charlie Hawksmeyer here on the Master Brewers podcast. You can find links to each of their TQ articles, the BA benchmarking tool, and more in the show notes. And if your brewery has a sustainability success story, let me know about it. Or better yet, publish your own TQ article or present your story at the Master Brewers conference. You guessed it. Check the links in the show notes to get started now. My fist full of courage.
Bridge. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use promo code BEER2021 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. 